Get Heavy Podcast, hosted by Craig Gonzalez. What's up, guys? Welcome to Get Heavy Podcast. Uh, another beautiful fucking pod coming at you. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, I had Cola Boy, um, Oxnard resident, fucking old hardcore kid from around here, has transformed himself into a funk pop fucking legend new album prosthetic boombox just came out on mgmt uh really fucking awesome stuff man i've been calling it lo-fi crust funk uh and he approved of that so there you go uh so stay tuned for that also this podcast is sponsored by salzer's records for 50 plus years they have been bringing you the fucking hits independent music shop in the area for many, many years. Um, man, if you want records, used and new, CDs, uh, cassettes, whatever you want. They got upstairs, they got an incredible gift shop, jewelry, bags, clothing, crystals for all you fucking hippies out there. They got an incredible pipe shop. Uh, all the utensils for you to get high as a goddamn kite. And the adult shop, of course, for anything you want to insert or lube on your body is there. Salzer's Records, independently owned by the Salzer's family for 50-plus years. R.I.P. Jim. God damn it, I miss you. Uh, I'd love to see this place last another 50. Uh, check out all their stuff on social media, 5777 Valentine Road, uh, right off Victoria Exit here in Ventura, California. Check them out, 11 to 7 daily. They are open. Also, Walk your ass across the street to Salzer's Video, the last video store on earth. I mean, literally. How many video stores have you heard of? There's one. It's Salzer's Video. Shit that you cannot find on the internet. Imagine not being able to find it on the internet and then walking to a physical store and being able to find a DVD version of it. Or even VHS, maybe. You never know, dude. Check it out. Salzer's Video, right across the street from the record store. Um... That's it. Enjoy the episode. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. It's yeah. been a... Last time... I mean, I saw you maybe a month ago. Was it at the Dead Heat? Yes, it was the Dead Heat. Yeah. Which was wild, right? Yeah, it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been around that many people in a long time? Um, I think I had just gotten back from Paris. Oh. And okay. so maybe I was a little bit. But not that close quarters, and obviously not in the context of people jumping off of roofs. Right. And... You know they got the caps stuck down. Shows, yeah, right? yeah, that sucks. But it does suck. Dude. I think it was gonna happen sooner or later, probably. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, man. But it was cool to be around like that many fucking people. I mean, you know, at least for apparently COVID's fucking. Apparently COVID's over. You know what I mean? So it's like. Whatever, yeah. Seems like, seems <laughs> See, such. They were acting like it over there, dude. Yeah, know? I mean, I I was having a good time. I saw a lot of people there that yeah, I've seen it forever, which is always my favorite part. And um, the bands were killing it too. I think like a you know Dead Heat. I really like this band. Um, mm-hmm. The singer Chris. I went to elementary school with him. You did? Yeah. Okay, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I always like like to laugh about that because me and him both did like a talent show. Mm-hmm. Like the same same year, uh-huh. and like I did like a little Bow Wow song, no and, he, and, he, and he did a Lincoln Park no. song. And it's just so oh. funny that like we were both like lip syncing these songs, 
and this is probably like mm, 2001 or 2000. So really? We were like kids, and then it is funny that we both end up being singers. Dude, yeah, no, totally, man. I mean, I, I, it's so, it's such a trip, right? Because I don't, I I mean, I I remember you back in the day, like when the wrath was going, right? And you were in, you know, you were in bands and shit like that. And it was awesome. But then there was like this big lull where like your generation was like kind of the last generation to do shit, right? And then, um, I, I just, I remember being like, there was like, it felt like there was nothing going on, like music wise. Like for like, what's the younger generation going to be doing? Are they going to figure it out? Like, we do shows at our at houses and fucking generators and you know making it work. But then there was just this big, huge lull of no one doing anything, right? And so, um, I remember I went to a fucking show and it was Dead Heat at at the Hong Kong Inn, and this was before this is pre pandemic, and I was in the parking lot and there was two hundred and fifty fucking kids. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm just old. I didn't realize there's a whole thing going on here. You know what I mean? Like, because after the wrath disbanded, you know, I kind of stepped out of the scene for a while because to create my family and life and all that. But uh, I remember being fucking shocked, you know, that there was like these a group of young bands and they're doing like wild ass music. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. awesome to see, man. It made me like, because I'm a big guy and I want the future generations to be able to figure it out too, right? I yeah. mean, I'm sure you feel like that, like. It's yep. important for punk. It's important for metal to have these guys figure out how to fucking struggle and do their thing, you know? Yeah, I think, like, uh, I, what I've always noticed in, like, the punk scene and, like, whatever, like, music scenes that we've been a part of is that, like, mm-hmm. there's always that, like, that, like, fluctuation, that, like, low of, like, there's, like, the, the high points and then there's, like, a low for a while. Right. And then there's high points again. And it kind of always goes up and down. And I think that in between those times, I think that there are bands that are that are doing their thing, you know, but... It's not that the bands are not doing the thing, but the lull is when people aren't like the bands aren't united and working together to like do gigs and stuff. Right. It's very like uh kind of like disconnected. And then once everybody starts to be like, Oh wait, we should like do stuff together. Right. Especially like when it's like different genres, not everybody's exactly the, the same type of punk or not totally the yeah. same type of like metal or hardcore. Like when everybody's like, you know, F it, let's just like do shit together. Yeah. Let's have a generator show. That's when things start to pick up again. Yeah. Like everybody gets invigorated again, and yeah. things start picking up. And 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 then new bands see that new 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 like younger people see that they get inspired, and then they start bands. Right. So, yeah. So I love that about the scene is that it's always been like that up and down, but it's never like it's never gonna stay down. It's always gonna be on the rise yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And and you know, and I think a lot of it too is is timing because bad politics makes great fucking punk rock right so this is like there was this lull in the obama days where everyone was like yeah all right you know fucking yeah. what, you know whatever and then all of a sudden now that you got this fucking psycho coming in and and kids were like pissed again you know yeah. what i mean and I, and I started to see it like right about year two of trump being in office you seeing fucking kids starting punk bands mm-hmm. and fucking all this shit so it's like we almost need shitty politicians yeah. <laughs> to keep this thing moving you know yeah that's that's a good point and, it, and it's I agree, and I think it's like, it's also a, you know, it, it's like an interesting fact, but it's also like sometimes to me, as like a, I consider myself to be like a, like, I, it, I, uh, what's the word? Like I strive to be like a, a people's musician. Or totally, a musician man. Musician. Yeah. So from my perspective, it's also like it sucks because when that happens, that means the politicians, like to me, all the politicians are like enemies of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like. When there is like Obama or Biden, 
that they're doing a good job at like tricking the people into thinking like things are better. When right. Really right. And it's like, it sucks that like, like I want punk bands right now to be singing about Biden. He sucks. He sucks. He's horrible. Yeah, he's he's a fucking, he's, yeah. And, and he's like, uh, what, what, you know, like just yes, the other day he's like, he's always about to sign another executive order to like expedite, uh, deportations. Totally. And like, uh, the, there's kids still in cages. So, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So nothing's like, changed just except for now. You can't, you can't, uh, put it in the media. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I, you're right. Like the, those politicians are better at the bait and switch, mm-hmm. right? Where Trump couldn't, couldn't shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. He gave all of his cards away every fucking time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think like, that goes back, I guess, to the issue of like the, like punk scene being, I think always the punk scene should be more like, uh, even more politicized in a way that's more uh, concrete and more um, precise. And yeah. Like, Cause I remember growing up in the, in the punk scene and it was, it was like very, it was like political in the sense that it's like, you know, like uh rebellion and which is good. And youth should rebel. Right. And like, um and like anti-capitalism and stuff, but it's still very like, you're not, we're not given much guidance or like super like precise direction about like really understanding like um, mm. the world around us. We get like, it's messed up and like, we want to rebel against it, but we're right. not given like a super, like so much guidance. You kind of like right. left to figure things out by yourself. And it's, yeah, it can turn things into like, I mean, it just, I don't know. It's just complicated. And it is complicated. The, the waters are so muddy, dude, because you can't, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's fun to, you know, say fight the system and all this shit, but like literally how, like, how do you do it? <laughs> you know, Like, how do you fucking actually make a difference in this world, man? Like, for me, I've I've thought about this a lot, you know, because I'm I'm a I'm a child of the apocalypse, dude. I got this shit all over my arms, cities burning, and mm-hmm. you know I've wanted to see this shit my whole life. And then I, I will say that when this fucking place caught on fire, and I saw what apocalypse looks like, I went, oh man, maybe I'm maybe I'm not really like maybe that's not so great, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, after watching a thousand houses burn. But mm-hmm. how do you even fucking make a difference, right? And I and what I've really come to realize is that we are in a capitalist society. We are consumers. We are fucking consumers. All we have, the only real fucking power I think we have right now until something major changes, I think incremental over time, is buying power, mm-hmm. right? I think if people would fucking pull together and stop buying the shit they don't want to support, you know, if you were fucking, if we were all smart enough to say, you know what, fuck Amazon mm-hmm. for two weeks, no one order a fucking thing, how fast would Jeff Bezos change his fucking model? You know what I mean? Like, or the oil industry. If you were to stop buying gas for a fucking week, how fucking fast do you think the oil industry would change their gears? So fucking fast. You know, like taking the money away from these people is the only real way in my mind to really fucking make a change. You know, I agree about take, getting, taking the money away from them. I, I, I don't, I think that what would be more impactful is rather than the consumers being the ones to, to be like leading the charge of like, having like a, like a boycott. I think the most effective is when the workers are the ones who say like, yes, this. like uh, we're not going to produce. That is true. Them. Yeah. And so then there's no products to be produced or like, 100%. you know, so yeah, you're right. like yeah. a, really, you know, like um, to me where the biggest power is, is in the, is in the workers themselves because like they're the ones producing, you know, and like, uh, um, as you know, you're a worker. Yeah. You know, I'm a union. Yeah. Local 12. Yeah. And totally. So like, yeah. um, I think that, um, I think uh, uh, to the consumerist point, I think it's interesting because a lot of people, like uh, they when they blame themselves for the way the 
world is, right? Mm-hmm. Like because they're consumers, but like we don't have a choice but to like 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 people, especially like poor working class people, like mm-hmm. you know, can't live off of a, like a vegan diet if you're feeding a family of poor Yeah, no, none none of us can afford to shop anything, at Whole Foods, you know? dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> like none like, of us. <laughs> and it's like uh Yeah. I think that's what the capitalists want. They want us to blame ourselves for yeah. like uh like the ills of society. Totally. Uh, yeah. And the reality is like what well, the power is in our hands. Yeah. Um, but uh it's not our fault. And I think a lot of people like I talked to a guy the other day who's like a he's a, maybe a janitor or he does does something works for the for mm. school just a school doing like a he's like a classified worker. Sure. Um and he was telling me like, Yeah man, but like you know, I know the system's messed up, but I own a house and I'm like, dude, so that doesn't make you like an enemy of people or like the, no, the, the problem. Like yeah. you need a you. Everybody wants to have a roof over their head. Totally, it's everyone scary. deserves to have a yeah, roof over exactly. their head. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's I'm, just like I think people are very like, uh, you know, we either blame ourselves or people tend to blame others when it's like, I'm always pushing, especially with my music, for like unity among people. Totally, and, like, man. Really like patience and like understanding and like uh, finding that we have so much more in common with each other than we have difference. Yeah, we do. I mean, if you were to really sit down with anyone that you disagreed with politically, you could find a few commonalities that everyone agrees on. Right. You know what I mean? Like a living wage would be cool, you know, all this stuff. And I think it's a very good point about, you know, the workers, you know, taking control of that too, but it's, it's just, some people stop at, I don't know what to fucking do. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't not afford to shop at Walmart, dude. You know what I mean? And it's the only game in town. So what am I going to do? Starve? You know what I mean? And then when the workers fucking strike, what do you, you know, what do you do? You know what I mean? It's, this is a long fucking process, you know? And, and as far as it goes, I mean, Biden's a fucking pro dude. You know, he's a pro, he's a capitalist. I mean, he's not even a Democrat as far as I'm concerned, you know, he's a fucking right winger, but, um, you know, he, yeah. he's just a fucking pro. They're pro politicians. They know how to fucking get what they want. Yeah. Nothing has really changed since he's been in. I mean, besides the fact that he handed us a few more shekels, but yeah. you know, it's I like, say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. You know yeah. what I mean? But it, it's just, it's so fucking muddy. You don't know where to start, where to go, you know, but I think controlling your, your purchasing power, workers standing up for their fucking rights. I mean, that's what my union is based off of, you know, the, the union's, you know, when they started, they're, they're the reason we have 40 hour work weeks, mm-hmm. overtime, paid family leave, mm-hmm. fucking, you know, what I mean, all this shit. And it's because people literally fought and yeah. killed for it. Exactly. You know what I mean? And like something that we're like, you know, they briefly go over like that stuff, like, uh, like the, like what is it, like the Haymarket, uh, and the Haymarket riots, riots yeah. and massacre and stuff. Yeah. And like, uh, and like obviously like work, uh, international work Tuesday, May Day and stuff. Like, yeah. Like, we, we briefly learn about like stuff like that in school, but they don't, but barely tell us it in a, an empowering way. They tell us in a way. Yo, these guys were getting out of hand and like this happened and look at they died so like you should like not like think about doing shit like that basically mm-hmm. and so it is it is a uh, it is important that yeah well people don't realize like the eight hour workday was you know it was fought and di- died for yeah like, people not, fucking spilled blood it, over that it's dude. not like the capitalists yeah. were like here we like you we're just gonna give you this yeah. we care like, no no like and well but, so all work stop all production mm-hmm. stops you know what i mean and that's that, that's what i'm saying with the buying power right like you know workers whether you're purchasing whatever like when you fucking stop doing the thing that you you know is wrong and fucking everyone does it then 
things change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Martin Luther King, you fucking see, you know, all these things, you know, are are made on fucking blood, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's sad. But um, I mean, that's how history's always moved forward. Right? right. Yeah. The gears of fucking war are paved, you know, yeah, are, like, are, are, are used with blood. <laughs> progress and like transformation takes sacrifice. It does, man. And, and no one, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to sacrifice because we're all. You know, as bad as parts of this country are, and, you know, even, like, parts in Oxnard and shit, you see, I mean, it's a third-world country in some of those neighborhoods. And yeah, it's been so. systematically planned. Mm-hmm. It's systematically executed. And those those fucking, some of those neighborhoods are never going to pull out of this, dude. You know, and I think it starts with... the way things are. They, yeah, yeah you know, like, like... If it's up to the politicians, they aren't. A hundred percent, you know, because they can, they can draw their fucking lines in these districts and control voting and fucking do all this stuff to keep themselves in power, you know, but it it just, it starts with really wanting to fix this place. You know what I mean? And, and until I think we're starting to see, I'm hoping, right. That this is my hope because I have children and now I actually have to have hope for things. Yeah. <laughs> like I have to actually want things to be yeah. better for them. Versus before I'm like, fuck this place. I'm yeah. fucking tear it down. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm like, well, hold on, guys. Let's, yeah. Let's try to fucking do something here. Exactly. Um, but, you know, you have to. I think these older politicians, these people that are fucking. You know, we're we're gonna start seeing a changing of the guard. Younger people, our generation, are gonna start taking this place over. And I and I see that systematically, incrementally, things are gonna progress better. You know, it won't be without fight, it won't be without fucking some real drama and and, and scratching and fucking clawing to get there. But I think overall there will be there is incremental change towards the better. You know what I mean? So I try to stay positive, mm-hmm. but you know, I you know, even teaching my kids, it's like they know this place is unfair, you know what I mean? And they're fucking perfectly fine white babies, you know what I mean? And they know, you know what I mean? It's like, I try to really tell them like all these, like the gender politics and all this shit, like, dude, it's all based in privilege. You know, like I've told my kids, like, do you guys think a kid that walks six miles to get water in Africa gives a fuck about what pronoun they are today, yeah, dude? No, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, not at all. Yeah, like yeah. they're starving, dude. Yeah. Like, so you have the absolute luxury to consider your fucking pronouns or yeah. whatever it is today, which is fine. I'm, I'm it's fine. Be whatever you want to be. Yeah, please. You know what I mean? Please. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. You know, it's yeah. all based in fucking privilege. Yeah, we you live know? in the, in the U S which is like the, like <clears throat> full hegemonic imperialist power in the world. I mean, right. Uh, the, the richest country, uh, one of the richest countries. Duh, uh, so I think. Be, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, we are given like a, we are, we do have things that are a lot, we have a lot more comforts. In, I mean, more people in this country have comforts than, than a lot of people in the rest of the world. That doesn't, but the, and that doesn't mean that people in this country are, have a good though at the same time, you know, but you're right. right. Like, it's like a, it's yeah. interesting because, you know, for me, you know, I always go back to like, you know, I think a lot of things like with, with like what's like progressive nowadays or right. politics or like world politics is that like, there's this tendency to try to like, put everybody into a thousand categories and like, right. it's all just to like, and it like ends up dividing people more than it does uniting them. And like, I'm like disabled and like part black, part Latino and Chumash. But imagine if I went around and I was like, yo, unless you're like black, disabled, Mexican and Chumash, you, shut <laughs> you can't up. say fucking can't anything. Say <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, that's, like I would have two people on my side right. and be like my family members, like, uh, <laughs> totally or like, you know, so yeah. At the end of the day, like I've learned like yeah. recently is like uh focusing on the things I have in common with the people like 
specifically not just people, but working class people, you know, and like, uh, and yeah. like, uh, really, like we mm-hmm. said, like, it's going to take, you know, unity to, for change, it takes unity, it takes organization and like yeah. people to the, the majority of the people uniting together. Mm-hmm. And like, we can't do that if we're fighting each other and we're like, uh, yeah. we're really like, uh, trying to divide things amongst each other. Like, that's what the capitalists want. They want us to be divided. Yeah, a nation divided yeah, is easier, yeah. easier to control. They dude. love I mean, that. It's just how so, it is, you know? And I think, like, there's a bigger <clears throat> effort. On that. I mean, that's why... I mean, they love that shit. They, they want to divide us. So I guess my point is that, yeah, it's interesting. And I think, like, what, what will change... Things will change. And I agree things are going to change yeah. and progress. I think it... I feel it's going to be in a different way. I think it's... I mean, I think the U.S. and, like, capitalism, imperialism... Mm-hmm. is in decay i mean imperialism by definition is capitalism in decay it's like yeah the final years where it's trying to reach out because right. it has no other markets it's in its own homes so right it's like right trying to get it it's getting <clears throat> it elsewhere yeah so i think that like it's in decay and I, inevitably it's going to crumble and there's going to be like revolution and like a sweeping away right. of this system and i do think it's going to happen in like uh the next i would say the next 50 years totally dude yeah i, think, I mean i, I think we are in years. the last years of how yeah. ca- how far capitalism can go without I would crushing say 50 itself years at the most at the most yeah and i would say yeah. the earliest i might i mean i just think that like even in the next 10 to 20 years it'll happen yeah you're gonna start seeing it i mean whether and you know they i the the one funny thing i hear all the time now is this uh conscious capitalism you know what i mean which is like i mean i i understand what they mean you know what i mean there are massive companies that can do a good job dominate their industry but also treat their workers well you know what i mean like trader joe's is a good example of that mm-hmm. you know it's fucking they they're not a union company but they do treat their employees really well their fucking benefit package is killer mm-hmm. you know there are those things like that that makes sense as far as it goes when you yeah. talk about like conscious capitalism mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it's not going to apply to everything yeah. it's not going to apply to the oil industry it's not going to p- apply to big pharma dude you know what i mean and like, at the end of the day like um trader joe's like they're still the workers are still being exploited, even if they're being exploited with a smile on its face. Like, yeah. still like the company's making what? I mean, I mean, I'm I was researching about Sprouts, Sprouts recently, and that's oh, a billion yeah. dollar company. So, if Sprouts is a billion dollar company, imagine Trader Joe's is multi billion. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and also, where does the product come from? Right, yeah, exactly. exploiting mar- we're, we're, migrant farm workers, exactly. right? Which is, which I mean, you grew up in Oxnard, yeah. right? I mean, and I, I, I fucking know what it looks like to yeah. run a strawberry field. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's. Exploitation of you know if it maybe is not on the surface level, yeah. Where are they getting the product exactly. from? What are they paying those fucking exactly. people? How are they getting this shit so fucking cheap, mm-hmm. right? And because it's bulk fucking you know it's bulk purchases and yeah. and now they're withholding to hey, do you want to sell your crop? Well, this mm-hmm. is what we're paying for it. You know what I mean? Like I, you growing up in Oxnard, I mean, mm-hmm. or did you is your family farm workers or no. nothing like that? Right? No, I mean my my parents <clears throat> parents are both nurses. Oh, okay. Um, my dad, when he was growing up, he's uh, the, the he's half Mexican and Chumash and half, and like one side of his family is Mexican and Chumash, and the other side is black. Oh, okay. Uh, and so the the Mexican side, they they did do stuff in like in like the fields, uh, more mm-hmm. so like doing like running like like air, like the pipe pipes and stuff. Oh, okay. Back in the old, my family's been in Oxnard. Both fam- side of my family been in Oxnard forever. Oh, really? You're you're like, old school Oxnard, huh? Yeah, nice. Like, my mom's family are like. For like Portuguese immigrants, oh wow, moving here, and then like my dad's side, like the black side, moved here from like Blythe, California. Oh and wow, and like uh, the Mexican side or like half Chumash, so the Chumash obviously been here. This is Chumash, yeah, totally. Like, uh, yeah. You know, 
two matches like along the coast with mm-hmm. based here. Um, anyway, um, yeah, they, they, my dad. So my dad told me, oh yeah, in the summers I would help them a little bit, but like, it was, I don't really have like uh, my family aren't aren't like uh, farm workers or nothing. Yeah. But I mean, of course, oh, so many of my friends' families are right, like, um, and it's everywhere. You know, is like the we're Oxnard, like the residential areas are surrounded by the fields. Totally, you know, man. Yeah, and I mean, even like you know, uh, you know. Yeah, you can't ignore it. And, like, kids you went to school with, you know, families are yeah. farm workers. Or even, like, kids I went to high school with were doing farm work, doing, working in the fields. On the weekends. Yeah. Fucking, yeah, totally. While being in high school. Totally, you know, man. So yeah, like, my wife, so Rosie's a teacher, mm-hmm. and she teaches in, in Oxnard. She taught at Elm for a long time, okay, right? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. they couldn't find, like, hundreds of their students. Right. Because when everyone's offline and not going to school now and what they had to start doing is literally going to the farms and the fields and fucking seeing how many of their kids are working. You're talking about eight, nine year old kids. They're out there helping their parents. You know what I mean? Because now they can create a little bit extra money. But, you know, when you talk about the immigrant mentality, you talk about that shit. I mean, there's there is no fucking harder workers than people you see in those fields. dude. I mean, watching a fucking 60 year old lady run literally run with boxes of strawberries to the truck all fucking day and i work at the airport in camarillo and i i'm next to him i see him all fucking day dude and not one part of me goes i want to do that like yeah. you know like so when i hear all these morons they're taking our job it's like fool go last one day out yeah. there in those fields for two dollars a box yeah. or whatever the fuck they're making you know what i mean like yeah get it, the fuck out of here dude it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah it's it's really rough and it's like they're making like yeah like you said they're not they're not they're making they're making the money based on how much they can pick per box Produce, right yeah. and like and then, and then they have to continue working as they get old like uh 60 mm-hmm. 70 year olds doing it totally, it's like, man when you're that old too yeah i mean there was that lady that like you said who's who's running to the truck but there's also some older people who are working in the fields who like aren't as fast anymore so it's like then yeah. not only do they have to keep working because they can't, there's no, they, they can't retire. Right. There's also like the fact that they can't pick as fast as like the young people can. So they're not making as much. Yeah, like, totally, man. It's like, so, you know, it's like, uh, I think it's just not so, irre- it's irreconcilable, like to me, like, um, and it's, you know, something's got to give. Um, and that's not to say it's just obviously farm workers too. We talk about like, <laughs> Sorry, man. in the fact, no, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know like, what happened. <laughs> factory workers too, like. Yeah, on the farms there's factories who do the who do like the the packaging, the boxing of of the produce and things like that, uh, or the shipping out and stuff. And like those workers have really messed up conditions too. And it's interesting oh, yeah. because people don't really focus as much on like the factory workers and like the warehouse workers. Yeah. And they have it really tough as well. Like even like heavy industry and like oh yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know. You yeah. Know, you know, I mean, even like that Amazon building that's going up on Del Norte, yeah. right? <clears throat> the actual work to make the building and do the land is all union work. Mm-hmm. These guys are fucking, it's all union pay. They're getting paid the high union wages. But what you're doing is you're building this so people can come in and do the job for fucking, you know, do the actual work in the warehouse for pennies on the dollar, right? So it's fucking weird. It's like this, you know, our union is. <clears throat> that's how you have to build it, right? It's all union work, union iron workers, union carpenters, all that shit. But then when you build the building and you bail out, now fucking Mr. Spacesuit over here in cowboy hat is paying these guys, what, 15, maybe at max, you know, dollars an hour. And they, they're they tracked and they have to fucking yeah. physically run. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's it's just such a massive divide, you know? 
and they had a massive protest, a strike <clears throat> out there. Yeah, Did you see it? I don't know if you saw, but um, yeah, there's a cool. Uh, yeah, I'll send you an article later. There's an article about it that's like pretty dope. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. It, I mean, it was, it was, it, there was, it was an embarrassing moment for the unions, to be honest, because what happened was <clears throat> the iron workers stroke uh, decided to strike because the uh, the contractor that got the iron work is an out-of-the-state contractor mm-hmm. from Utah. Hiring out-of-state right. work. So they brought in a bunch of fucking out-of-state guys to do the job for like $15 an hour, and now they're icing all the fucking iron workers out, right? Um, and so the iron workers decided to strike, and iron workers are a strong fucking union, dude. They are strong. So when And we always support them, the operators, uh, along with the carpenters, right? Laborers are kind of... They, they kind of... They do their own thing. I don't know what it is about the laborers, but... Um, uh, when they decided to strike the fucking basically like there was a bad communication. So the operators didn't strike dude. And it's a big fucking deal. I mean, when you well, like, they were supposed to come in support, they were supposed to come in support and they're out there fucking working dude yeah. in front of the strike, yeah. which is a huge no, no, you do not cross a picket line. It's, yeah. it's the main fucking thing about unions. Like if the fucking union shuts down a job, you do not fucking cross. Yeah. Right. So I went over there to check it out because there's this 50 foot rat yeah, out yeah. there and shit. You know, it was, it was really was cool. And the fucking there's the there's operators out there working, dude. And I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And what happens is they create this thing called a two gate system mm-hmm. where there'll be a strike happening on one portion of the job. But then I think Scott, um, there'll be a strike happening on one portion of the job and they go, oh, you know what? You're going to be working on the back gate today. Okay. So they like half of the guys didn't even realize there was a fucking strike going on. You know what I mean? It was it oh, was so them away so they wouldn't know that it was essentially like, yeah. And it's such a big uh, it's a big, big fucking area, big yeah. Property, I guess you would call it. A, it's like it almost looks like it's like a mile across. Oh yeah, it's from yeah. Del Norte to Rice, yeah. dude. And they want to fucking they want to extend the airport straight to the Amazon site. <laughs> it's crazy. They want their own fucking road straight to the Amazon, dude. Yeah. Which is nuts. I mean. But what happened is the one day, the first day was a fucking nightmare, you know, and, and the, but second day they came in, they shut the whole fucking job down, right? Everyone's striking, everyone's out there on the line and they got exactly what they wanted. Amazon, you know, that co- company said, you know what? Fine. They sent all their guys from out of state home, the scabs and it brought in all union work. You know what I mean? But that's how we make fucking change, right? We, you know, we strike. And even though there was a miscommunication and I was fucking embarrassed and I was pretty pissed because I had some of my apprentices out there on that job. Mm-hmm. And I called him and gave him fucking hell, dude. You know, I said, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, if there's a strike, dude, you do not yeah, go to work. Yeah. And they're like, well, our foreman didn't tell us. And what, by the time we saw it, I said, I don't give a shit, dude. Mm-hmm. You never, ever fucking cross a picket line, dude. Mm-hmm. That You can get kicked out of the union for this, you know. Um, but yeah. they get it figured out. And it took one fucking day for that company to make a change. It took one yeah. day. That was it. One day of no production. And they're like, fine, no problem. Yeah. Like, fucking bring them in, dude. <laughs> you know, it was like, that's the power, right there that's the power dude. That's the power of workers. You're right. You know, um, I wanted to ask, like, I don't grow up, up in Oxnard. You know, you're surrounded by the Nardcore fucking thing. How was, how was it? What was your path on getting into like punk rock and hardcore and stuff? Um, so I would say the earliest I remember hearing punk was you know a age i am is like tony hawk it was like the video games that tony hawk oh yeah that's right, Pro like, tony skater, hawk, right? Skater one was like first time i heard a lot of like i think like dead kennedy and stuff like that mm-hmm. it was in the back of my mind like oh this type of music like it just stuck in my head as part of like this this kind of moment this soundtrack you know mm-hmm. then it, i mean but it wasn't something i really like knew too much about it there, there was no like 
internet wasn't like at that time it wasn't like internet you could like crazy you probably could search yeah but it was still hard to get on yeah and it was not like something that i was this is what 90s right yeah late 90s yeah. yeah Yeah, it wasn't fully everywhere yet. Yeah. You had to really try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I mean, kid from Oxnard, like, uh, in elementary school, especially, like, right. there's no kids, like, listening to punk. I mean, kids were listening, like, Sum 41 and Blink-182 at the time. Like, that's what, like, the most kids were listening to in elementary. Right, um, right. And then in junior high, I went to Fremont uh, Junior High School. Oh, okay. And um, there, there was, a, there was some punk kids there, you know, like, uh, punk kids and hardcore kids. And uh, at the time, you know, I've talked about this before, but I was, like, bullied. Uh, junior high is, like, the worst time, right? Like, it's so hard, yeah. dude, especially being, you know, disabled yeah. and all that. I mean, kids are so fucking mean, dude. But it made me mean. a mean person, too. So then, I, like, yeah. there's times I look back, like, damn, I was a, I was a, I was a fucking loudmouth, too. So, like, yeah. not that I deserved it, but it's more like a, in response. Well, it's reactionary, I, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, in yeah. response, I, like, I, you know, it made me angry. But anyway, the, the punks at the school were nice to me uh, yeah they were showing me music and like uh, inviting me to shows which like was too young at the time my parents were like no you're not going to that shit yet no. <laughs> yeah uh, but they were like, <laughs> like yeah so like i mean the first band i mean is just the ramones was like the first band that my friend kaylee she showed me and like uh mm-hmm. and i remember buying like the loud fast ramones like compilation at best buy like the cd is like the first punk CD ever bought uh-huh. and i was like it was just like my shit and then got into like you know, Sex Pistols, Ramones, The Misfits, right. and like uh, The Clash. Yeah. You know, and um, the basic yeah, the the, cookie cutter yeah, fucking yeah, punk rock yeah, yeah. starter kit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then like finding out about Nardcore was like, yeah, that was eighth grade. I think the first band, and still my favorite Nardcore band is Ill Repute. Oh, okay. And, like, um, so that was the first band I ever, Nardcore band I ever heard, and it was like the song uh, Oxnard. Mm-hmm. And it's like being a kid from Oxnard. Who, like, we don't really, I mean, like, Mad Lib and, like, Lupac was around back in the day. Right, right. But I didn't know about them, really. They were on the Tony Hawk game, too, and I didn't yeah. I didn't know who they were. So, like, there was that, like, music stuff from Oxnard, but then there's also, like, this whole punk scene. You don't really find out about if you're not, like, if either your parents were into it, maybe you could find out about it, or if you, like, at school you have friends. Right. And so, up until that point, I would never heard of, like, Oxnard like punk music. Like, yeah, I didn't know what the legend was. And the so, lore. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. hearing a song that was like Oxnard, no hardcore, I was like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. and yeah. it's like you know, this like uh, feeling of like uh, you know, this feeling of pride, like, pride I guess. And, yeah, like, totally. excitement and feeling mm-hmm. something that's like you're already so connected with, even though you just right. it, you know, and something that right. came, that was made in the eighties, you yeah. know, and uh, so it was from there, and it it, it is weird because like hardcore. At the time when I was listening to hardcore music for like a year before I even like went to any shows, so sure. it was almost like this fantasy world that like didn't fully actually exist yet. Right, right. You know, it was yeah. like, but it was just like seeing pictures of like shows and yeah. seeing like uh, the hardcore like was like the hardcore twenty twentieth uh, anniversary right like, uh, that happened at like the skating rink. I didn't go, but I saw pictures and it looked like whoa, like what the hell? Whoa, this yeah, crazy. this is crazy. And then yeah. uh, finally, I got to high school. Um, and I remember the first day of high school, freshman year, it was like all the punks, metalheads and hardcore kids all were congregated in one spot. Nice. And it was like 40 kids. Yeah. And like, and so I was a weird freshman and there's like freshman and through seniors, like 
Like, so there was guys that looked already like they were 30 years old, like mm-hmm. big dudes, yeah, with, like, totally. jackets seniors, and, like, and, yeah, hair and stuff. Like, and like, yeah. Um, yeah, just being like, damn, these are my fucking people. Well, and it's a strong enough crew where you're not going to get fucked with that yeah, much, right? Exactly. You know, like, even, yeah, you know, I guess I don't know what, what's the big thing there. I mean, obviously, jocks in high school, right? But is, was there a gang culture like thing there I too? To, yeah, I went yeah. To Pacifica, which is like, uh, right next to like, uh, La Colonia. Yeah, totally. And like, obviously, like, there's a big gang there. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, a lot of dudes that I went to high school with are part of the gang, or like family members, and like they grew up in that neighborhood, you know. But uh, but I mean, I never had issues with people. People who were, like like uh, dudes that were like homies and shit were, were always always chill to me. But you grew like, up in the area, right? I grew I grew up like uh like on C Street, so oh, it's okay. like I'm like. Is a trope, well, it's like right over the railroad track, right? Totally. You know, but it's like my neighborhood's right there. Like, yeah, uh, and I have friends who live there growing up, so I was, yeah. I was always around, and my dad uh, grew up there. Yeah, uh, my dad grew up in La Colonia, and then he moved to like J Street. He moved on up, dude. Not yeah, even up. Yeah. He actually like it just moved on basically over. Basically, what happened is like <laughs> there was like back in the day was redlining, so where like uh, uh, it was black people could only live in La Colonia in Oxnard. Really? Yeah, and um. Yeah, that's that systematic fucking, yeah. you know, you know, critical race theory yeah, shit like exactly. coming coming to life, right? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, for and sure. So it was like redlined, and then um, that that broke at some point. <clears throat> things were, I guess, like changing, and so like a lot the black community that was all there uh, moved around Oxnard, and like so my dad, his family, and like a lot of like like black community members moved to like South Oxnard and like uh, the West End of Oxnard, right? And stuff. Right. So, um, but anyway, like uh. Yeah, but anyway, I'm right there, and I went to school with all those these people. So it's like, uh, yeah. But high school was was chill. Like, uh, yeah. um, I went to a lot of shows. I, I yeah. I mean, school was. I, I hated school. I did. I didn't do terrible, but I didn't do well. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The um. I, when was it that you actually like started playing in bands and shit? Right. I mean, because I remember you from. I don't know how much you want everyone to know, but you know, full blown AIDS, yeah, dude. Yeah, That's yeah. what I remember. I just remember seeing you and going like, "This motherfucker right here, dude, he's getting it." You yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, you know, it was it was awesome. You know, because you guys were part of that younger generation that was coming up behind us. You know, yeah. and uh, when did you actually like start getting into music? Like, you obviously you obviously play guitar. You play a, yeah. a bunch of instruments, yeah. right? I think so. Like when I was a little little boy, like. Uh... My grandma was like a lounge singer back in the old days and stuff. Oh, okay. And she uh, had a piano in her house growing when I was growing up, and so I would always mess around on it. And, like, had this interest in music and like performing from a young age, and then mm-hmm. it's probably junior high school when I, like a lot of people started playing guitar. Oh yeah. Like around that time, like dudes that I grew up with were like not grew up with that I was going to school with were playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Some of them were already like getting good, like automatically. Yeah. Those, like those motherfuckers, like, dude. Like, yeah. I had friends like that. Yeah. It was like, really? He's like, dude, I got every solo in uh, Metallica uh, Master of Puppets. I'm like, not even close, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I am lucky to get through the bass lines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, you fucking sons of bitches. Yeah, and they had like, yeah. But anyway, like, I uh, it was like junior high. I started like, I picked up a guitar, electric guitar. I got one. Christmas or something. Right. Like a BC Rich. Hell you know? yeah, dude. Yeah, I was like, yeah, the, see, exactly. Yeah, the yeah, like my Warlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Black Warlock. And Hell I, yeah, dude. And I was like, oh, I was all about it and fucking like uh, learning like all the basics and stuff. And then it was like high school. I got to high school and I was going to punk shows and I was playing guitar. I had guitar class. Yeah. And guitar classes just for the fuck ups, you know. Oh, just, totally. Like, yeah. It's awesome, just, like, though. 
I think I smoked weed for the first time in like <laughs> in class, in, guitar class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the hallway of guitar class. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, totally. and so <laughs> basically when I was like 16, a lot of my friends that were in the punk scene as well, it was my school. We're starting their own bands, you know. One of they started a band of like five or six dudes, and I was the only one that wasn't in the band. Oh, really? This is like, like everyone but you. Yeah, and they even had two singers. <laughs> yeah, there's two singers. singers. Yeah, and um, you you discriminating motherfuckers. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, I mean, it's it worked out because like I like yeah, I started, it worked out for yeah, you for sure. Yeah, bro. it was yeah. fine, and like um, you know, I started a band with my friend Juan. Yeah, and it was called Full Blown Aids. Yeah. Like, in hindsight, it's horrible. I know, but it's you pretty know. awful. And it was off of a Family Guy uh, mm-hmm. reference, which is like also a pretty awful show. Like mm-hmm. looking back, but it was at that time. You're a teenager, and you want to like you want to like be edgy and oh yeah, and, like, piss people off and yeah. stuff, you know. And like, uh, well, it is one of those band names when you hear it. Like I remember seeing it on a flyer and going, "That's fucking." <laughs> I mean, I was in the fucking wrath, right? Yeah. It was already hard enough to get shows with an F word in there, yeah. but you know, full blown AIDS. You're like, you got some okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then the music like, it was exactly what you would think. You know, what I mean, yeah, it's it was raw, like yeah. almost not power violence, maybe, but you it know, was like th- like you know, thrashy, hardcore. Totally, dude. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a mix, and it was um, you know, my parents weren't very happy with the name either. Hell no. And like yeah. A, and then we started calling ourselves the FBA. You know, right? And, and, yeah. you know, but we were seventeen when we started that. You know, so right. like, no, no, seventeen year olds making good decisions for yeah, band names, no, dude. Definitely yeah. not. Um, uh, but. Uh, that was like, you know, it's funny because I think about how I, uh, like being a songwriter now and stuff. And like, you know, when did I start songwriting? I'm like, well, when I, like when I was 21, it's like, no, you started songwriting when you're making punk songs. Totally. 16, 17. Yeah. And I like barely realizing that now, like those early bands I was in, like I was writing songs. Uh, and that was like the beginning of that and like playing gigs and, you know, being, instead of being the, just the observer at a show, which I love watching bands, but it was right. also like, that change into being the one that's performing and like people, you know, pitting and people like stage diving, going off and like uh, that feeling is unreal, yeah. dude. Yeah, it was yeah. so it was so nice and it was like um, it was such a special time. Well, it began a special moment in my in my life, you know, right. because like uh, you know, being yeah, being just like being out there and doing that shit and like there were so many bands back then too. I mean, there's a lot of bands now. Yeah. And I don't want to be like that. Like, I'm not being, I don't want to be subjective, but like, when you're 17 and there's like 16, 17, and you're like, there's a show every, feels like there's a show every weekend. Every fucking weekend. Like, yeah. in almost too many times, too mm-hmm. many shows. Like, there was bands that I loved back in the day that were like, oh, I saw them so many times. I'm like, I don't need to go see them again. Right. I've already seen them a billion times, which is, yeah. like, I remember the skate park shows that, you know, you know, Boner, Eric. Oh, yeah. He would totally. throw and like, you know, Perkins, Generator shows yep. and all that. Yep. And like, that was like, those were like such formative times for me and like uh i'm so grateful because all that those years showed me like that that spirit to just like uh i guess diy and just like not not having much to go off of but like what you have like you uh, make it work right and that's that's the beauty that diy culture you know i mean that's the reason i do this podcast is because i like to talk to people that have Mm -hmm. used that diy shit to create more rad shit Mm -hmm. right you know and Obviously, with your, you know, with what you're doing now, you know, the Cola Boy is like, I mean, it's fucking crazy, you know what I mean? Because it's so outside of punk rock, you know what I mean? But it is in that same spirit, right? I mean, how did, how, what did the process of, how did that get started? You just writing stuff in your room? I mean, did you write all the first original shit by yourself completely? Like, yeah, basically, 
I was playing in like when I was like eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen, I started playing in like an indie pop band, mm-hmm. which is funny because while I was doing the punk stuff, around the same time I started like playing in other bands too. Right, yeah. which was you like, start branching out musically. Yeah, yeah and totally. it was interesting because it took me into two different worlds. <clears throat> like being in the punk bands, I was starting to play more punk shows and like you know doing different bands. I had a power violence band like called El Mariachi that like, mm-hmm. was really really fun. We did some cool shit and like um, same time doing Sea Lions, which I went on tour to Japan. It was like yeah. playing at Lay a lot, doing a lot of like traveling and touring and so it was like what were you doing in that band i was playing guitar playing guitar okay all right and um and at the time i think again like i said i had this misconception of like what it was to write a song i was like oh yeah well i want to learn how to write a pop song right Uh, and not realizing that like what i learned from like doing punk was already that process of learning how to write like pop songs or writing structure in the song totally man. and so like i think i was around 21 22 and i was in that band the indie pop band with sea lions (sighs) one of my best friends and like but the singer, he was like the songwriter. It was his project. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, I want to do my own shit. Like, yeah. Uh, I think I could write songs like <clears throat> pop songs. And I was like, it seemed like it was magic. Like, how could you do that? But then I was like, I would never know. And then I was like, you know what? F it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to try. I don't Start really... fucking around. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's all. And I literally just had a laptop, a computer mic, used the computer mic and an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And like, was literally like, would like pitch down the acoustic to make the bass sound and like, oh, okay just, that's how it started and right, then like right. from there it was like okay now i'm gonna like uh get a get a mic and a, and a, and a decent little interface and like you know record or no actually they, for a long time the cola boy demos were like just computer mic uh you know guitar yeah shitty guitar right um and bass and like a, maybe like a uh i bought like a a roland gaia like synthesizer mm-hmm. Um, so you can put some layers in it kind yeah. of yeah totally man and i did not know what the hell i was doing but i was like um, <laughs> yeah i think when you don't know what you're doing you're trying to you're trying to make disco and you, but you don't know what the hell did you is. set out to actually make disco yeah i mean because here's what I, I i've been i've been listening to the record a lot it's i i fucking love it and i'm not a guy who lives and dies by punk rock mm-hmm. i love everything like mm-hmm. i watched that mccartney documentary it made me oh, cry yeah. the other day you know what i mean like but i i've been trying to like describe what it is and this is tell me if I'm wrong. I'm calling it lo fi crust funk. <laughs> that's what that's I like what, that. Yeah. That's what I literally like because because the lyrics are fucking punk, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but anyway, it's just that's it. Someone asked me what it sounded like. I was like, I you know, I was like trying to think, you know what I mean? Because it's funky, dude. It's yeah. fucking funky. Like, where does that come from? Like, you started out to want to do disco like funk music, yeah. Kinda, right? I definitely want, yeah, I wanted to make disco and like funk. Didn't know how. Yeah. I mean, because those, those, obviously those bands from the old back in the day were extremely, like, talented. Like, oh, totally. Like, yeah. Matt and nine-piece bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? And <laughs> the producers on the records were, like, also insane. So it's, mm-hmm. like, being just the one kid, like, in your room is, like, yeah, it's not going to be that easy. Uh, especially when you're not, like, classically. You're not trained, like, professionally trained. Or totally. You're just, like, a, a person who learn on their own. And I was like, I want to make funky music because I like it and I think it's fun. Did you grow yeah. up around that type of music? Yeah, but I mean, not so much more than any other person. I think, oh, okay. like, being an Oxar, yeah, there's a lot of like everybody like the Chicano culture. Like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, of course. And, like, yeah. Uh, and then like <laughs> Zap and Roger yeah, and all, exactly. all that shit, dude. Yeah, yeah totally. It's everywhere. And like, especially yeah. and then, like, in rap music, like Southern California rap music too. Yeah, Art LeBeau all day. Yeah, 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 totally. And yeah. Like, uh, like Snoop and Dre and them, they, they incorporate so much funk stuff and then like my family members you know my dad's side like listening to like funk and also pop stuff too and like uh yeah. 
and I don't know what drew me to it, but I think I was just like, I was getting really into this. Like first, like wings, like was really like I was back in the day. I, my ex girlfriend was like a Beatles head. She's like, right, like not like, like for real. Knows like a like, Beatles freak. Like yeah. knows everything right. about the Beatles and shit. And so she got me like re back into the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Like got I, I liked them when I was growing up, but then like got me back into it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know, let's start listening to Wings. Paul McCartney and Wings. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is my shit. I love this more than the Beatles. And it was like disco and like it had a lot of funk and mm-hmm. like while still being pop and like mm-hmm. and uh I, that with that really inspired me and like and then like spreading out the different disco stuff and then mm-hmm. like I said I just tried didn't know what I was doing so it definitely didn't sound disco it sounded like random yeah in the process that makes you come up with your own kind of style totally, in a way. well because you have a unique voice right yeah. and I mean obviously the music is. The music's unique, you know, it's cause it is, it is not traditional funk, it's not traditional mm-hmm. disco, but it has like these elements and these vibes. And then you do a really good job, you know, on the record of your voice works really mm-hmm. well for the music you're creating, right? And it only, it only makes, cause I'm 20 fucking 30 years into playing hardcore. And the last 10 years, I think I finally came into my voice of mm-hmm. yelling, right? So I'm fucking still yelling, <laughs> but now I can do it at any pitch I want mm-hmm. in any way I want. And I can actually manipulate it how I want. But like, mm-hmm. it seems that you have like, you've really, I mean, I would assume you probably have your own doubts about your shit and I do about mine, but you know, from where I'm sitting, it's like, you've really captured your unique voice and made it work very well for the music. You know what I mean? Which is cool, you know? Yeah. A lot of guys, it takes a fucking, there's always that one weird element. It's like, band's great, singer sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't get that. You know, yeah. I don't get that vibe at all, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, there's some people who, probably, who, who don't like my voice. Well, out that's there. fine too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, there's some people who are natural singers, right? And like, who right. are born and they can fucking belt it out like Whitney Houston. And, oh, I'm, yeah. and I'm jealous of yeah. that. We all yeah. wish we could be James Brown. Dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've I, said it. If I could, if I could sing a dance like James Brown, I would have never played heavy metal, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like ever in my life. And you know, I started I'd be out here with a cape on. Fucking that would be the shit. Yeah. Dude, I, I still want to do it. Yeah. That would be sick. Yeah. On Halloween, yeah. do like James, James Brown, Brown cover band, set. dude. I'd love to do that. And, um, is that cultural appropriation though? No. <laughs> as long as I don't do blackface. Yeah, right? exactly. You just don't do that, and you're good. Yeah, just don't do that. James Brown's universal. Yeah, for sure, bro. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, like, um, so I wasn't. I mean, I don't think I still am like not the best singer, but I figured out my voice yeah. better, and I have improved. My voice has improved from when I first started because it's just like, like anything, you just like you have dedication and like uh, discipline and practice. You're gonna like improve in right. like, your craft or whatever it is you right. do. Like, you, like I know foods who are like. Who like I'm gonna be an artist or whatever a painter and then they and they started I'm like damn this was sucks what is he doing and then like they kept going and they you ended up grinding. being good I'm like damn that's like you know there's there, always bro. that you know like we learn from doing you know we like uh that's and so I think it's just been that process of figuring out my voice and like uh, improving on it and like not not settling with like like just being like yeah this is fine this is I or being egotistical like my voice mm-hmm. is a shit you know just like how can I improve and how can I also like do different things with my voice too, you know? Yeah, totally. We manipulate it with the, you know, yeah. the sounds and stuff. But yeah. like, so when you start, you start doing Cold Boy, the demos, right? I mean, when does it like, cause now it's, it's ridiculous. Like, you're like, what, what's he doing? Like, why is he, how's he over in fucking France? You know, but was it the MGMT guys that really set it off? I mean, where did you really start getting traction? Like at what point were you like, what the fuck, dude? I think it all happened at the same time. It's did really it? Interesting, like, I think around 2015, I was 
doing the demo and stuff. And I was like, I already made up in my mind that I wanted to like take it serious and like mm-hmm. try to find a label and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, so I was sending my stuff out to people. And nobody was really getting back to me. Right. And then the label, Record Makers, the French label, okay. um, they followed me on Instagram. And I was like, oh, like, what the fuck? And then I, uh, I saw they had like Sebastian Tellier, who's like a really popular French artist. Right. And like Kavinsky, who did like the Drive soundtrack as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, All like, right. Um, and the label was started by the band Air. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so um, I was like, oh, damn. I've cool. had a lot of girlfriends that liked Air, dude. Air. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. They, yeah. they, they're, and they're, Bill and Sebastian. Yeah. yeah. Damn, I haven't thought about Bill and Sebastian. I know, right? It's been a minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so they followed me or whatever. And I, so I messaged them like, hey, like, I noticed you followed me. Like, it'd be cool to do something together. They didn't respond mm-hmm. for like a month. And I was like, okay, whatever's worth a, tr- worth a shot. Yeah. No harm in like, yeah. shooting it out there, right? And then so I had a show in L.A., <clears throat> a random like DIY spot mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like I played the show or like before the show was that I was chilling with my friends there right and then like Mark who runs the label and like uh Sebastian Tellier and then my friend John Kirby another guy Francois were like uh walked up and my and Mark was like hey what's up Nicole boy and Mark like from record makers I was like what the fuck so they came to see me play wow and uh I performed in like to like ten people, which is hilarious. Like, yeah, but was that, it just you, or did you have a band? With I, you just, at the I was time? solo, just yeah. solo, yeah. huh? Wow, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's you know, it's ballsy to be up there by yourself, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, imagine you know, I'm always with a band, so you got at least someone else to blame. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it, it's like a different dynamic. It, it, it has to be, man. Yeah, but it's fun because it's also there's a little more freedom because mm-hmm. you have to be the one that's like not freedom, but more so that like you have to be the one that's really working the crowd and. So it's fun. It's almost like being a stand-up comedian or something. You totally, really yeah. To with the crowd, yeah. Um, so yeah, I played the show and they they saw my set. Mark saw my set and he was like, "Wow, I loved it. Like, uh, would you want to do a record?" So from there, I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So the next day, I sent him like forty demos. I had like forty. Oh demos. shit! Okay. Uh, he went through. He went through them. And he's like, "Oh, like the next few weeks, he went through them. Like, oh, I like these ones. Like, we should do this. These into EP." And I'm like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So we started working on the EP for about a year. Wow. Maybe two years. And then around 2018, the, the right when the EP was coming out, it was like two weeks before it came out. I was in, I got flown to, I went out to Paris to, to like, to meet with them to do like, pre, like press stuff. Yeah. And to like, yeah. have me. Now, when you guys stuff. did, when you guys recorded the EP, did you record it here in LA or? I record, honestly, it was like, or was it like remote, back and forth yeah, remote? remote. remote. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So I recorded yeah. like, the EP, like on my parts, I did at, I did in my room. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Nick Hessler. He was yeah. in Catwalk back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, at the time, I didn't have a proper setup, so like he was recording me in my room. Totally. And so we were doing that, sending it over to France to the producer Corentin. This goes by Nitz, like, and so he would get all the R stems, and then like you handle like uh, production on a like a more concrete scale, right? right. And so we did it like that. And it was people. like a truly collaborative effort, yeah, right? Yeah. And you don't have any problem letting go of that power, right? Not at all. I think so many artists are egotistical now. It is true. Like, yeah, it's hard, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, especially it's like, I don't know how to play, like, I don't know how to rip on the violin, so like, right. I'm gonna have, <laughs> I want to like, have somebody else to do it. Like, totally, you know, man. Like, no, but I mean, it you really, it, it is what serves the song, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's cool. I mean, because so many, so many guys fucking destroy their own careers by being that guy that has to control every single yeah. aspect, you know? And you really, you really learn quick in the, in the music 
game that like you, unless you're fucking Kanye West, you're yeah. gonna have to like uh compromise. Yeah, yeah. collaboration. Yeah, is key. yeah, and especially yeah. In, like with your like labels and with management, all these things. Like it's a team effort. It's not like it's not that simple where you just get to walk around stomping around like calling calling every shot about everything. Totally, like, man. You know? yeah. Um, but yeah, so we did the EP, and I I was in Paris on my birthday. Sitting at a cafe with, uh, the, with Mark uh, Caesar, who's like my manager out there, uh-huh. and my girlfriend. It was on my birthday in the snow uh-huh. at a cafe. The, the week, the day, the day, two days before, after or before the EP was coming out, and I got an email on my phone, and it was from MGMT's management, and they uh, were management's management, right? You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and they were like, "Hey." uh, you know, uh, MGMT guys really love your love your music, um, and they wanted to see if you're down to go on tour with them in two weeks. And I was no, like, "What?" And I showed my 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 label, and they were like, "What?" Holy <laughs> Dude. shit! And we we're just like, "Yes, that's amazing." I was like stepping out onto a big fucking stage like that, dude. Because I I mean, at the most, I've played to like fifteen hundred people, mm-hmm. two thousand people. You know what I mean? Like MGMT is playing what fucking not stadiums, but they were massive fucking yeah. massive venues, right? Yeah. I would say like especially i I did tours with them in the US and in in, in like and then France yeah. and England in London. And yeah, there's a lot of people. It's probably like I would say there most shows were like four to four to six thousand maybe 7,000 people. Yeah. Uh, which is not the craziest, but it's still like, that's a, a lot of yeah, fucking people, yeah. dude, especially from a kid from Oxnard yeah, that, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're like, and I was, and, yeah, and you're get, like, and, what dude? And get this. I was, uh, at first, uh, tour with them. Mm-hmm. It was a U.S. tour. Mm-hmm. I was by myself. Solo. Really? Performing solo. Damn, yeah. dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was solo. Yeah. I mean, were there, I mean, how many, what the fuck? Oh my God. Moments for there a lot. As far, I mean, I'm sure the the crowd felt that way. The, the crowd was like, "Who the fuck is this?" Yeah, and like, uh, it's you. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Yo, who the hell is this guy?" Yeah. And um, but it was awesome, you know. MGMT, like, yeah, I rode on the tour bus with them. Oh, you did? I, I was gonna say, did they make you drive or no, something? No, I rode on the tour bus with so them. Awesome, yeah, no, they, no, they had me on the tour bus with them. We became like, oh, that's really awesome, good man. homies. Yeah. And then when I, I know, then they invited me on tour again to. A short one in Europe and uh-huh. or like France, like two shows in France and then one in London. And those were like one of the French shows in France. I forget what city it was in, but it was like this crazy venue. And there must have been like yeah, it must have been like ten thousand people. That's amazing, like, dude, um, dude. Yeah. And at the when I did the the France and like London shows, I had a band. So You're right, um, okay. That was a little less uh now was it people that you knew or kind of people that they, so they helped Thong, you gather? Colin Thong, who's the producer okay. on my first EP. Yeah. I still work with him on some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh he was like basically like my conductor for the band. Like okay. he basically like since he produced like at the time all those songs, right. he knew them inside and out. Right. So basically he played the keyboard and some bass and then taught the drummer and uh at the time it was just me, him and a drummer. Right. The three of us and he taught the drummer all the songs. Wow. Yeah. And we basically like did it like that and then did it like that, huh? And then now I, when I do live shows I have like guitar based drums and uh vocals. Vocals. So um yeah. I have like no wait, like when I did like yeah, it's like guitar bass no guitar bass keyboard yeah. drum and vocals of five people i was gonna say there's got to be some keyboards yeah, in there. Yeah. there's no way you're pulling all yeah, that no. shit off live with the guitar unless oh, yeah, it's yeah. fucking prince playing yeah. with you <laughs> yeah. yeah so there was like five 
now, but at the time, yeah, that was like. And you know them well, and it works good, and there's no. Are they just hired guns kind of people, or I mean, have you actually got a good relationship with these guys? With the people in fr- in France, bands I have had, yeah, we're close. We're mm-hmm. close, and they're my homies. Like, I mean, they became my homies. Corinthon, it's all. I became friends with them through working with right, them. Right. Yeah. Know? I think I'm a pretty easy to get along with person, so I don't have a. I don't have. A, I'm not really like a. I, I I can make friends with people pretty easily. Totally, yeah. And like yeah. everybody I worked with in the on that end has been super like super dope. And then like in the US, uh the guys that I did like because uh, I did like a Coachella a couple years ago. Right. And, like, I mean that must have been wild, right? Yeah, it was insane, yeah. yeah. And like that band, um, they were hired, but uh they became uh they're nice too. They're my homies. Yeah. Like, uh, so you have a pool of musicians you can work with at yeah, any point whenever you yeah, want. And yeah. It's like when you're in like right <clears> now I'm putting a band together for i have some shows in october okay so i'm putting a band together and um i'm just trying to figure out who i'm gonna have but it's yeah it's just like asking around for like people that i trust and i say hey can you recommend somebody that's like that's cool that's good like yeah play, do this or like and i uh, it's people i trust who like who will recommend well me and it's, it's you got you know and you know this and i know this most of fucking touring is having someone that's a good hang right yeah, i mean exactly i'll take someone that's not the best fucking musician on earth if they're a fucking great hang, right? I mean, because that's it. It is a relationship. You, I mean, it's like having five fucking girlfriends that you don't get to fuck. You know what I mean? It's like it's brutal, dude. Yeah, it can be brutal. And if you got someone with an ego, someone with an attitude, yeah, someone that can't show up on yeah, time, that's, it fucking kills you. You know yeah, what I mean? So it's it's all about yeah, having a good hang. You know, that's so true. Like, uh, yeah, as far as my band members have gone, it's always been pretty good. I think I've run into a couple annoying people that are like uh, doing yeah. other things. You know, yeah. like um. One in particular, I don't want to talk about it too much. Yeah, but like, it's fine. yeah, it's like one one dude who's kind of annoying. Um, but it was a good learning lesson because it's good to learn that somebody's like not a good fit early totally. on, rather than knowing that like uh, finding that out later or it coming yeah, four into, or like, five years some in awful thing. Yeah, you know? totally, so, man. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think it's like I haven't done any like super long tours with bands with a band yet. Mm-hmm. With Cola Boy, I did in the past with my old band. Right, of course. But, uh, and I know, so I know what it's like to do. Oh, that. yeah. You know the grind, dude? Yeah. Sleeping like, on floors and fucking, yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, my old band, Sea Lines, I was in, we, we, we did a US tour. Like, we drove all around the US, like, in a fucking Volvo. Right, dude. Like, yeah. It was That's brutal. Yeah. Hell. Yeah. And I mean, it was fun because they were my best friends, but it was, it was, it's tough. It's at a grind, time, dude. It's like, yeah. At the time, you think, like, that's all, you, it's all you know. So it's like, fuck it like this is like we're out there we're, we're like this is like our shit who cares yeah. but then like you look back when you're older like damn we were wild like, yeah fuck? it's crazy dude i mean especially being young like like you know i went on tour when i was like 17 dude and my mom's like okay later like full u.s tour fuck it <laughs> it's like damn. and we didn't have a plan dude yeah. like i mean we had the half-ass shows booked and it's like it's like if my if my kids were to tell me at 17 years old hey i'm gonna go to your store i was like no fucking way yeah there's no way you're doing you know, that you know yeah, i know like, what happens yeah. you know what i mean yeah but um yeah Actually, it's a trip man it's yeah i think by the time i did the u.s tour stuff i was like uh, in my 20s already so like i think the first like yeah. small tour i did where i drove up to washington with my friends uh, to do it like a like a West Coast kind of yeah West Coast thing. string yeah yeah I was nineteen right and, um, I think it was with my like again my best friends so my parents they trusted them they were a couple years older than me too so my friends yeah so like my parents trusted me more that trusted them to, yeah had to take care of me and and it wasn't an indie pop band so it wasn't like 
super, I mean, we were pretty wild and actually we were wild. And yeah. like, I think we had like a, like a, like a, like one of those small school buses, you know, that, sure. like, yeah, like a special education school mm-hmm. buses, like, a uh, converted into a tour bus. Right. And like, uh, like all the seats were taken out. Yeah. We had like but it was at least comfy ish. It was yeah. the shit. Yeah, it was totally. like you could sleep in there if you had to. Driving yeah. through like Washington and all the trees and like yeah. you're 19. You've never really been like you've been to like I've been before that I've been to like to TJ and Ensenada and like you know I've been around uh, California but yeah. I've never really uh, traveled outside. I've been right. to Vegas. The most, yeah, you know, yeah. But yeah. I never traveled outside really, especially yet. on your own. On my yeah, own. yeah. Totally. So that was like you know that was the first time being like. Damn, yeah, there's something to be said for that. Because, I mean, it's, you know, it, one of the things I say a lot is, like, first of all, to have the fucking balls to take a chance on yourself and do something like that, be a musician, tour, all that stuff, is something that, like, 0.001% of people ever even get to fucking experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you don't look back on those times, even in the chaos, as, like, you're a lucky motherfucker, mm-hmm. whether you made your own luck or whether it just happened to you, um, you're an idiot because it's mm-hmm. – you. To, for someone to be able to actually follow a dream in this fucking country and, and pull it off in any sort of capacity, you're so far ahead of the curve. Like on, you know, I, I work with people that always wanted to do something else and they ended up in construction, you know, it's like, and when I would tell them like, Oh yeah, dude, I was a fucking touring musician for like 10 years. They're like, what? No way. You know, they're like, what? How, you know, like, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, cause you do a six week tour, you, you do okay. You come back with barely any dollars, yeah. then you got to find a fucking job, yeah. you know, and then you got to save for the next one, yeah. you know. I mean, it's not a sustainable life, you yeah, know. No. Um, now, when you get to hopefully what you're doing, I mean, congratulations! Like, thank you. Um, how's the new record response and all that? Are you stoked on, on the final product? I mean, yeah, you guys got big plans for shit coming up. Yeah, I think uh, you know it took like three years to record the album because of COVID. It took three years. It was gonna yeah. be two, yeah. Um, but once like COVID hit, it was like we're not going to release a record in the middle of the COVID, right? So right. The record had already been done for like a whole year before yeah. we released it. Yeah. But the yeah, the the response has been really nice. I think it's been good and like people love the record and uh, you know, it came out and it, it came out in, uh, in Europe and the US and in Japan, which I'm stoked on. Oh, cool. So hopefully, you know, when the COVID thing subsides, lightens up, yeah. Then I can, you know, get on tour because you know, I mean, as far as like touring, it's fun. But it's also like that's how I make a living too. So yeah, like, man, that's yeah. like the hard part is like uh, that aspect of things. But yeah. yeah, things have been good, and I uh, it's like a weird relief when you have an album done. You know, an album oh finally, god, it's like yeah, yeah, it's so cathartic. Dude. Yeah, yeah, you finally release it, and fucking there it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then that now it frees up your mind to work on other shit, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm already over the out. I, I know. Yeah, I by the, the time album, our albums yeah. come out, we're like fuck that record. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah like, totally. But it, it's cool because it's new for so many other people, mm-hmm. and you know, it's. I think uh, I'm excited to do some. Like I said, I'm doing shows in October, and then um, yeah, I'm already working on new songs as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of just you know, riding the wave and seeing riding the wave, dude. not being not having too much expectations, right? To let yourself down, and also knowing that there's like there's bigger issues in the world than like my records so it's like always keeping that in my mind and being like humble and not thinking that the world revolves around me totally you know? like, dude yeah yeah because that's i mean you're you're i'm not, not saying you're famous but you know that's a level of fucking notoriety that like you know most of us aren't ever going to experience dude it's got to be hard to i mean do you have i was i wanted to ask like do you deal with punk rock guilt 
like at all like no, like not. do you have friends that are fucking jealous and treat you weird now you know what i mean anything no, like that like you know because i say punk rock guilt's tougher than catholic guilt dude it's you know what i mean like the fucking i have to keep it fucking real yeah, you know yeah. that whole thing like i think you know like, you don't you never felt like you were betraying your fucking scene or anything stupid like that right no i think like when i was younger when i started playing like indie pop music i think at that time i was maybe like battling that a little bit because people were like what the f-? at that time it, it was a little things were a little more divided musically as obviously the internet wasn't the way it is now to where like there's so much access to music that most people listen to everything even punk right. listen to everything now, right, they, right. they're not afraid to admit that they like everything yeah, now, you know totally. it's, it's different so i think yeah. at that time yeah it was a little tough because i would get shit from from my friends um and then it changed things change culturally i guess and then like yeah. also like i think i don't have an issue with people nobody ever gets everybody's like super supportive even the punks everybody i know because i stay among the people i don't right I, yeah i still go to punk shows like i was just at charman's gig on, oh did you go to that I, yeah i, I sang a song cool. with them actually oh you did yeah. cool man hell and yeah so, so like uh like i'm still with the people i still like yeah support people i ride around on my scooter in Oxnard. people see me around all the time like um and i think that's really what like because the, the issue of it is is like is people feel like you're abandoning them. That's what it is. Like when they say, Oh, you're not in the scene anymore, or you're not punk anymore, or you're not, you're not down for Oxnard. It's like, yeah, people say that when there's people who are, who separate themselves from. Right. Them. Right. But your, your, he- your lyric content is heavily based in politics, yeah, yeah. uh, keeping fucking, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, keeping with the people yeah, and you know, all exactly. that. Cause it's funny. Cause it's like such lighthearted music, mm-hmm. but the lyrical content, you know, when you really look at it, you know, I thought like, even on the surface level, when I first heard the songs, you know, I, I'm not a lyric guy. I don't, mm. lyrics are like the last thing I listen to. Like I, I listen to the voice, but then I started reading through the lyrics. And I'm like, Oh, he's keeping it punk as fuck yeah. still, dude. And that's rad. I mean, it's all about power to the people. Yeah. It's all about fucking fighting the system, yeah. you know, but in like this lighthearted, you know, way. And it's, yeah. it's fucking rad. You know I mean? I, I could see if you were to completely abandon that whole entire thing and, you know, you're just, being the fucking rock man. star singing about bullshit yeah. you know like yeah then may- maybe people could be like oh fuck that guy you yeah know? But no your lyric content is all based in fucking punk rock roots mm-hmm. and values you know yeah what I mean? and it's like uh i think with like the style of music that i do it's like uh i've said this before but it's like i want it like I, i'm talking about like rebellion and, and reflecting like the, the, the trying to ref- be a reflection of like the people and their their own struggles mm-hmm. and but doing it in a way that's optimistic you know having like revolutionary right. optimism and like being like a not being a downer you know right because the people know that their life's hard that they yeah. struggle every day they gotta go to work they're yeah. exploited like they know that yeah so they don't need somebody else singing like oh i'm so sad about this no totally they have somebody saying like yo yeah you do this and we're gonna we're gonna, and you're gonna we're, i'm gonna unite with you and we're gonna fight against yeah. it and we're gonna do it uh there's hope yeah there's hope there's and there's, hope, and there's yeah. optimism and like because you can't like like especially like like struggles like class struggle and a uh, revolution are, are are very difficult things, and they're you know they're not easy. Like you know, like like I said, we talked about earlier. Like, yeah. Like in every movement in history and transformation in history, like blood has to be spilled and, and things right. like that. So the the question is like, how do you get through those things? You get through it with optimism, and, right? And, and uh, that's that's the only way. You know, that's like um, it's like rallying the rallying your your fucking battalion and shit. Right, you know, man. and I just wanna do that through my music and like also unite people through my music. Yeah. Like if, yeah, man. You know, that's what I strive for. Yeah. Oh dude, it's awesome, man. I'm so stoked for you, bro. Okay. Um, 
Fuck yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on, dude. It's yeah. been, I mean, it's a pleasure to catch up with you. You know, it's been many, many years and yeah. I'm just so happy for you to fucking be able to do what you want to do and the way you want to do it. And it fucking works, man. I mean, it's thanks awesome, so much, dude. dude. And I'm happy to be on the podcast. You know, your, your band, the fucking rap, I always loved you guys back in the day. You know, like I see you guys play <laughs> mad times. I saw you at my cafe. Right. And like, uh, I forget what other spots, but like, you know, so it's cool that things come full circle and we can like yeah, man. do this podcast and talk and stuff. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. All right, man. Beautiful. As always, please rate, review, follow, comment. Tell your fucking friends about this podcast. I am seriously floored and overwhelmed by the positive feedback I've been getting. Uh, this thing's building. It's growing. Check out the videos on YouTube. Hit that notifications bell. Subscribe. It helps me get you know, towards, I guess, getting ad revenue. It's something that seems so far in the future, but it could happen. Uh, so check that shit out. Also, please check out the Patreon. $1 a month gets you in the door. Uh, higher tiers get you higher shit. But these podcasts go up a week early on Patreon, plus bonus, foot, bonus footage, uh, tour stories, exclusive content, all that shit for $1 a month. Patreon.com slash Good Heavy Podcast. And lastly, check out the merchandise, localshop.com slash get heavy podcasts, all of your t-shirts, rec, uh, we got coffee mugs, we got all kinds of shit. We're going to be coming out with some cool sweatpants, getting geared up for the winter. I got some cool art coming out for that. So I will, uh, I'm sure be telling you guys about it. Having also said all that, thank you. See you on the next pod.